Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all of God's creatures. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. This week, our first reading is Exodus 14, verses 19 to 31. That's the first reading for September 13th, 2020. And in case you're counting, it's the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. And uh, Rachel, you've got all of the goods on this one, right? No, uh, yeah, sort of. It's a, it's kind of an awkward pericope in a well-known story that provokes some awkward theology. So there's some uh, some interesting things to talk about today. All right. Well, um, why don't we start picking it apart? What? So this is the story of when the the Israelites are at the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, and God makes a way for them through. That's awesome. Yep. yep. God makes a way for them through, and then casually invites the Egyptians to follow, and brings the seas crashing down on their heads. So there's a little bit to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Be- because this is one of those texts where people say the God of the Old Testament is so angry and so violent. You heard that before, Tim? <laughs> yes. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, a few times. Most of us who work in Hebrew Bible have. So let's kind of unpack it a little bit. Um, there, There's a couple of things, first of all, that you, you'd have to do in preaching this. It starts like smack dab in the middle of the story. It says, the angel of God who had been mm-hmm. going ahead of the Israelite army. So right away, your people are going to be like, huh? The the who and what army and where are we at? So, of course, you know, you're going to have to start out with some sort of context giving whether you've been following this kind of narrative semi-continuous reading or not. If you're going to preach on this, you got to contextualize it. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting in the midst of that is... Um, What's happening in this movement in verses 19 and 20, you have the um, Israelites who've been following God in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So they're following God. And now at this moment where the Egyptian army is coming up behind them, that pillar shifts from being a leading force to being behind them. It's Mm. a, it's a, a narrative shift, which is marked by a physical shift. And there's some fun things you could do with that. Um, The pillar no longer needs to light their way and to guide their steps. The pillar now needs to protect them from what's coming behind. And that sounds pretty obvious. But another way to say this is the threat to the Israelites is no longer from their future, but from their past. Yeah, kind of nice, huh? (laughs) Well, and I think that could be a really interesting sermon point at this moment that we're in where COVID-19 is threatening our future. But this army of our past sins is just as much of a threat, if not more, to our well-being, especially if you have black or brown skin. So I think there's some interesting ways that we could play with that, with the pillar shifting and the past and future dynamic that's going on here. Yeah, that's an interesting way to sort of see a resonance between this story and our own experience where we've got this uncertain future ahead of us, but we're also wrestling with with our past. That's a really great way to contextualize it. So what is what does this passage do for us and when we have that sort of framing? Yeah, well, it's interesting, especially because that's that's a frame that continues as a cycle throughout the whole Hebrew scriptures, the threat mm-hmm. of the future, but also the, the past that continues to catch up in the form of apostasy, 
and all that kind of stuff. Apostasy, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks when we talk about the Ten Commandments. Mm. So what happens, what this pillar does is protect the Israelites in this story. It, it keeps the army of Egyptians from coming at them. And um, it eventually actually, you know, destroys the Egyptian army as the Israelites pass safely through the sea, which sounds great, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that that works really well if you've got sort of your good guys and bad guys view of this. Exactly. But the Egyptians, Egyptians are people too, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, and that is the hard part of this text. There, There's no way around the fact that in verses 26 to 31, God enacts violence upon human bodies. You can't get past that. Um, and I don't want to spend time today either trying to defend God or excusing it by saying, well, it wasn't really that bad. It's there and we need to deal with it. So what I do want to do is to spend a little time giving us some context that can help us deal with it in a couple of different ways. Sure. So one way to deal with it, if you look at verse 26 in the Bible, God says to Moses, hold out your arm over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and their chariots and their horses. Now, we hear that and we think flesh and bone, right? Mm -hmm. Human flesh, animal flesh, the real death of living things. And that's absolutely part of it. But it's also important to remember that at that time, horses and chariots and soldiers were the tools of war. Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like the equivalent of saying, bring the waters upon their tanks and their planes and their guns. What God is doing in that moment is destroying the Egyptians' tools that allowed them to perpetrate violence of war against the Israelites or against anyone. It just so happens that in that day and age, the tools of war were living and breathing things. Now, mm -hmm. this doesn't excuse that loss of life, but it's an important angle to remember. Yeah. I mean, horses and chariots, they were sort of the F-16s of the ancient world, right? Right. Right. Exactly. Now, one more way to understand this loss of life is to go back to verses 19 to 20, which we already talked about. But one word in particular is darkness. It says in verse 20 that there was with the cloud darkness, and that's the Hebrew word choshek, which is really, really fun to say. So if you're listening to this podcast, just, just spit it out real quick. You give it a little guttural choshek, really fun. Choshek. Choshek. So this word was used in Genesis 1, tohu vavohu yeah exactly so the, darkness it was, over the water exactly it was chaos and void and there was darkness over the face of the waters it's used again in genesis 15 to describe the sleep that came over abram when god covenanted life with abram whether abram was going to want it or not it's used in exodus 10 to describe the plague that came over the land and then it's used again here and that's the only time so far that choshek has appeared in the hebrew bible and I want to focus on that use in Genesis 1, because there, Choshek is part of this image of total, utter, and complete chaos. And it's chaos that cannot give birth to life without the in intervention of the Creator. Here, as the Egyptian army descends upon the helpless Israelites, we're seeing a threat of a return to that chaos, which is sort of signaled by this word, Choshek, darkness or obscurity, even better. 
And, and this force that's bent on returning to violence and chaos, God allows it to go there. But God just doesn't allow it to take the Israelites down with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think I get what you're saying. So the the darkness, the the chaos, the the what you call it, the obscurity mm. is the force that collapses over the Egyptians, sort of brought upon themselves by their own machines right. of war. And out of that chaos, God pulls the Israelites and keeps them safe. Exactly. Yeah. The Egyptians are bent on returning to Choshek and God allows it, but not before pulling life out of that chaos. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting way to look at it. Mm. So uh, I, I feel like a sermon is forming here, <laughs> but would you have any other sort of uh, preaching pitfalls? Yeah, I do. I think there's a really important moment here to uh, be careful about unintentional racism in our language, especially as we address a text that talks about Egyptians, which is an African nation, and mm -hmm. darkness. Um, darkness is a, a pretty good translation for this term, Choshek, but we have to be care a little careful because darkness in our kind of modern English parlance is typically used to describe something that's a threat that's menacing, that's negative, that's bad. And when we do that, we um, kind of align those qualities then onto people with darker skin because of the connection between those two words. Right. So to use that word darkness here is a little bit um, dangerous in our modern context. And it also doesn't completely capture the Hebrew. I use this term obscurity before, and I, I actually think that's a better term because What's going on here is not necessarily that something is dark and so it's bad. It's that you cannot see. It's the loss of that sense, which was so important in the ancient Near East, especially, which mm -hmm. was really, you know, the, the problem. Uh, I, and if anybody's a Harry Potter fan out there, uh, <laughs> re recent movies have talked about Obscurus. Now, if you don't know this whole context, it's not going to make any sense to you. But if you are a Harry Potter fan, stick with me a couple minutes. I really like using this term kind of obscurus and obscurity for what's going on here because the official definition of obscurus from the Harry Potter fandom website <laughs> is, quote, the manifestation of the repressed energy of a young wizard or witch, a parasitic force created when the child in question consciously attempts to repress their magical abilities or were forced to do so through physical or psychological abuse. This is the good part. This energy can manifest itself as a separate entity that can erupt in violent, destructive fury. Mm, mm. And I think there's some nice correlations between how one has to struggle to deal with an Obscurus in Harry Potter and how God deals with the violent and destructive fury of Pharaoh and by extension, the Egyptian army here. <laughs> so preachers, you'll have to sort of gauge the Harry Potter uh, yeah. <laughs> level of acuity in your congregation. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But if but nothing but else... It's a it's a good it's a good way of thinking about uh, this sense of uh, obscurity as a force that can take on a life of its own. Yeah. And if we're not careful, drag us down with it. Yeah, exactly. We need, we need God to rescue us from that force of obscurity. Which can sometimes be external to us and sometimes can be inside of us. So, yeah, mm -hmm, absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Anything else, Rachel? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Well, that gives a lot of sort of avenues into this text and while, while not uh, wiping away the parts of it that are really challenging to us. Uh, preachers, if you're going to take on this text for your sermon, uh, it's not an easy one to preach. There's a lot of things to keep in mind, but we trust you. You can do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here, here. <laughs> well, let's bring our episode for today to a close. Thanks, Rachel, for all your work on this challenging text. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Remember, dear listeners, that you can find out more of First Reading the Podcast on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. And you can also subscribe to us either there or on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Blessings on your preaching.